Welcome to episode 46 of the Sourcing Challenge Show. I'm your host, Mark Lundgren. I sat down with Ben Solomon from Objective Paradigm in Chicago, USA, to talk about setting up a sourcing team within an agency and how he got into sourcing. You know, I, I think, or at least I, I like to think, or I like to tell myself that as, as we were a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of an agency really building a sourcing team, like you certainly see it now in plenty of big companies and even, you know, medium-sized companies. And I think a lot of companies, you know, right now or in the past couple of, couple of years are coming around to, oh, what is sourcing? Sourcing as a, a separate function, a separate career path from recruiting as part of TA and, and really seeing the value of, of what a sourcing team could be in a, in a in a corporate environment, and I think agencies are starting to come around to that now too. I like to think, or I like to tell myself that we were a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of spending the the time, money, resources to start building that out early. Um, but okay, so my so my story. So way back in uh, 2007 is when I graduated from college. And I was a history major. Came out of college, said I don't know, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I'm qualified to do. Just started applying to jobs that were looking for college graduates, you know, and um, I ended up taking a first job, which was, a, it was basically an office temp for a year. That got kind of boring. So after a year, I left and said, okay, I'm going to put more effort into, into looking for another job. Put my resume out to a lot of different places. And then um, Objective Paradigm, the company I work for, found my resume on Monster. Back and in the day. Back in, back in the day, right? That, that shows you how old I am. Um, and where they were coming from is they were looking to hire uh, their first sourcers. So it ended up being myself and, and someone else that I started with. And so they, to give some context, Objective Paradigm was, is a uh, IT recruiting agency located in Chicago, been around since 99. Um, and back when I started, it was all recruiters, right? Recruiters, account managers. They didn't have any folks who were focused on sourcing. And back in, this would have been late 2008, they said to themselves, hey, maybe we should hire some people to focus on sourcing. I think their thinking was, you know, they had come to realize there are a lot of, there are a lot of pieces of the process or things that they wanted to get done, but they didn't want recruiters to be spending time on and or that recruiters weren't necessarily the best people to be spending time on. So, you know, the sourcing part, the research part, some of the you know, technology pieces, they wanted their, they wanted the recruiters to be focused on, you know, especially back in, back in that day, you know, hitting the phones as hard as possible, cold calling, connecting with people, selling our clients and all that jazz. And then the other piece there, which has been important as we've, we've continued to grow our team and our sourcing function is, you know, the difference between folks who succeed in recruiting and folks who succeed in, in sourcing. And, and, you know, all of our recruiters know how to source and, and can do their own sourcing, but, the way I think of sort of think of it, especially in the agency world, you think of your traditional, you know, recruiting person as your your type A, you know, sales, networking, cold call, that type of person. And the sourcing person is your behind the scenes, research, detail oriented, nerdy type of person. And realizing and recognizing that and saying, okay, those are two different personality types, two different job types. And when those two types are functioning and working together, that can be really effective and really powerful. And um, you know, the other piece of that is the recruiters, they don't want to be spending all day. You know, you tell, you take one of our recruiters and say, hey, you have to spend 
a week every single day just doing sourcing and searching on LinkedIn, whatever, for the same role, and you're not going to get to talk to any people, they're going to go crazy, right? That's not that's not how they want to spend their time. That's not what what sort of powers them to get through the workday. And so finding people who can, and it's getting into that a little bit, right? It's like anyone to some degree can do anything for some amount of time, but it comes down to like, you're going to get burnt out faster if you're doing something that isn't doesn't align with sort of your work style, personality type, whatever you want to call it. And so these recruiters or recruiters, you know, generally want to be connecting with people. That's what sort of powers them. And we want them spending their time building that relationship piece. And then the research piece should be somebody done by somebody who can sort of focus, dig into the details, go down those rabbit holes of finding information about people and is not going to get, not only not going to get burnt out by that, but it's going to love that and, and be, be energized by doing that all day. And then, you know, finding, finding these people and then serving them, serving them up to the recruiters to, to take it to the next step. So anyway, I was hired to do that basically as the first sourcer here. And when they were going out to hire a sourcer, they said, well, okay, we've never hired a sourcer before. What are we looking for? They said, okay, we're looking for, you know, people out of school or with a, you know, a year or two of experience. And we want people from that, you know, liberal arts type of educational background who are bringing, you know, the research experience, writing, editing, organizing and retrieving information and all that, all that kind of research and other stuff that you get from that kind of education. And we want to take that and apply it to uh, the world of recruiting. So that's how, um, I got into it, I got started, and um, to talk a little bit about how we grew the rest of the team. So um, the other sorcerer who I started with after about uh, three years uh, left for another role, and then they said, okay, Ben, any more sorcerers we hire, you're in, you're in charge of them. You're so, so that, right, you're it. So that's sort of, sort of how it happened. And um, we slowly started to, to bring on more sorcerers as um, the need arose, and that, that sort of happened in, in, in two ways. So first it was, um, you know, what, what I did for those, those first couple of years and we hired more people to do was support our internal recruiting team. So we have, we sort of do it all. We do your traditional, you know, direct hire contingency placements. We do, we have a contract staffing arm. We do an RPO sort of ish sort of consulting service. And each of those teams got sort of a sourcer to plug in and support the recruiters on those teams. And then where, um, it really started to take off was we started offering a couple years ago, started offering sourcing as a service, basically. Mm -hmm. So the, this RPO like service, we called it, we call it now DRS dedicated recruiting services that always sort of included sourcing. And then we started to get clients saying, you know, okay, well, I don't really want the whole recruiting consulting package. I don't need that. I have recruiters or I have a recruiting team. I just need sourcing. I just need top of the funnel. And so we started building that as a separate service where they would have, one of our sourcers supporting a client directly and, you know, doing sourcing, doing sourcing the way we do sourcing, but supplying that directly to a recruiter at the client, as opposed to one of our uh, internal recruiters. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's what sort of driven the growth of our team. And um, a couple other things I'll say on that. So, you know, the, the sort of personality type work style, whatever you want to call it, that's, that's a piece. I think another piece in terms of when we're hiring sourcers, so we typically do what we have done, which is hire entry-level folks and train them to do sourcing the way we know how to do sourcing. What I look for there is 
again, some sort of, of, of research background, working with information, we'll call it the, you know, retrieval of information and then the organization of that information that you retrieved. And so some of the things that I really like to see, just for example, when I'm looking at you know, resumes of, again, people who don't necessarily have sourcing experience, but um, people who have experience, you know, this could be in, in college or internships or, or first jobs, or whatever, working in museums or libraries or archives, things like that, where again, they're, they're heavily involved in how information is organized or outside of that, just working with any kind of, you know, database or CRM and work being responsible for data quality, how that data is organized in that system, pulling out data as needed. The other piece I'll mention there is um, I think it's important when you're building a sourcing team to have a definition of what sourcing is and what that means for your organization. And it's really funny and, and really interesting to me, like when I'm at SourceCon, I always ask people, you know, what is sourcing? What does sourcing mean in, in your company? And there's so, there's so many different answers. There's no one definition, right? And so I think that's always an interesting conversation and it's important. And there's never gonna be one definition, but for any organization, it's important to define what does sourcing mean to you? What does recruiting mean to you? What's the cutoff point? Where's the handoff? How does the handoff work? How is everybody, you know, tracked and metric and, and all that stuff? And for us, what it's typically been is the sourcers don't get, our sourcers don't typically get on the phones, right? That's sort of the handoff point. So the sourcers will find candidates, they'll reach out to candidates via LinkedIn or email or whatever. They'll have some of that back and forth over, you know, the, the text, email, whatever, get new information up to the point of, you know, we'll schedule the call for the recruiter and then it's handed off and then the recruiter runs for it and the sourcer goes and, and spends their time finding more candidates. And that's, that's what's typically worked for us. But it's interesting when you talk to people, you know, is, is, the, is the engagement piece part of sourcing? For some people, sourcing is just name gen. For some people, their sourcers, you know, do the, do the phone calls. And, you know, to be honest, sometimes I talk to people and they lay out, well, here's what our sourcers do. And then it's like, what do your recruiters do? Like, they, they describe to me what their sourcers do. That, and to me, that's a recruiter. Like, well, our sourcers, they source people and they reach out and they qualify. And they take them through the interview process and then they make the offer. And then it's sort of unclear what the what the recruiting folks do. So for anybody building a team, I think it's important to figure out, you know, why and then how it's going to work through that process. And then um, another thing I'll mention just from my own background that I forgot to mention is that um, so we're a, a, a primarily a, a technology IT recruiting firm. We do a lot of software developers and that kind of things. And I, can't, I did come in with some of that background. Um, I had taken a number of, of programming courses in, in high school and also actually as a kid, I um, attended and then later taught at a technology summer camp. So I learned as a kid how to program and actually for several years in the summer taught little kids how to program. Um, and so that gave me sort of that background. I think really gave me when I started a leg up in terms of knowing what C++ was and knowing what HTML was and just my brain already sort of functioning in that way and, and being able to make those connections relatively quickly. Um, so I do think that that contributed to, to my success as well. And when you started, obviously being, well, one of the, one of the first sourcers in the company, what was your training like? Where did you go to to learn? Was it, you know, just the recruiters or did you have any kind of formal training or, you know? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. I think, I think there were sort of three stages of that when I, when I look back on it. And the first one was, you know, I was just being trained by the, by the folks there, right? So the, the recruiters and, and thinking and the managers there 
and thinking back to it, it was a lot of, um, I remember sitting in a conference room and, and you know, we had a, a printed out job description. They said, okay, well, if I told you to go search for this thing, what would you search for? And I said, oh, well, maybe this word and this word and this word. And they said, that's good, but what about this? And just sort of really basic stuff about that. There was some technology instruction too, right? Recruiters who've been working there for a while coming in, well, here's what Java is and here are search terms that are related to Java and things like that. And um, I think, and another thing I think that sort of helped my development was a lot of that initial training and learning kind of the basics was focused on our ATS. And I think that really gave me a good grounding in that. And, and I've always believed and always thought like for us and a lot of other people, their ATS is underutilized as a source of, of hires. And I know for us, like we do a pretty good job, but we could always be better. Like the people that in our, I know, like I know they're just placements sitting in there waiting to be made if we can find and, and write the right searches and bubble those people up in the right way. And so I think that having that sort of focus at the beginning helped me. And, um, you know, again, coming from having some of that programming background, like Uline and, and learning that stuff and how to build that stuff was, was pretty uh, straightforward for me and just spent a lot of time um, looking at job descriptions, figuring out searches and then looking at resumes. And, you know, I always say when I'm, when I'm training people, um, I always use the example of, of, I think sourcing, like obviously you can, you can learn, you can study, but it's also one of those things that you just get better at the more you do, right? It's like doing, doing reps in the gym. The more you do, the better you're going to get. The more job descriptions you look at, the more resumes you look at, you just sort of build those connections in your brain. And um, I always tell people too, like, I, I remember when I was first starting, you know, brand of search, okay, I've got my search results. And I'm going to look through, each profile and pick out the ones that I think are good. Like that took a long time. And I remember agonizing over every profile, like, okay, click on the first one, spend 10 minutes. Oh, is this person a fit? How do I know if they're fit? And now it's sort of scary. Just like, just yes, no, yes, no. Like you feel bad almost, but like you built those connections in your brain that you can go through those, those things so fast. Um, so, so at first for me, it was, yeah, just being, being trained by, again, you know, the agency recruiters on, on how they source. And then, um, going from there. And then sort of the second, I think the second phase after that training for me is just kind of figuring it out on my own. Right. And, and, um, starting to dig into these things and again, doing it a lot. And, and so the, the example I would use there would be, um, LinkedIn recruiter. And so again, back in the day, we got LinkedIn recruiter when it first came out, we we're like, Oh, this is so great. This is going to be our advantage. And it was for a little bit. And now everybody has it right. That's sort of the baseline. But I remember like just spending a lot of time, figuring it out. How can I be most effective with this tool that's been put in front of me, running a lot of searches, clicking in all the fields, trying different combinations of things. So that's the sort of, I'm splitting up. So first phase is just being taught by the recruiter. Second phase, kind of figuring out on my own. And then third phase is starting to become aware of these other things. So um, I would say that the first, the first two kind of blogs, I think I became aware of were the SourceCon and Boolean Black Belt. And I don't remember how I came across them, but obviously I, I did in some way. And then that starts to open up that world of, oh, like there are other people out there doing this thing that I've been doing and, and who are further along in their learning process than, than I am. And that started that as sort of the third phase of really starting to to build out uh, what I was able to do. And then, and then now I would say, you know, I continue to learn from the larger sourcing community and, and the folks on, on my team. 
Okay. And when you, I mean, obviously, as you said, when, when you started bringing on people um, and, yeah, you were it, um, where did you start with them? Like, you know, when you're bringing in people who don't necessarily have any experience in sourcing, what's your kind of process look like to get them up to speed uh, as quickly as possible? Okay, so yeah, so we, we do, obviously, over the years, we've, we've developed sort of a, a, what we think is, is a good process of training, and we just sort of go step by step, and so, you know, the first step is, is as I did, we start with the ATS, and we like people to become, you know, part of, part of how we see the sourcing team is not just doing sourcing, but they're kind of the experts in all the technology and tools that we use, and they should be able to, you know, help recruiters or help train folks or that kind of thing, and so getting them up to speed in, on that ATS. And so the, the very first day, we're jumping into that, learning the basis of that, and then learning, working on some um, information retrieval sort of tasks in that system. And before we even get into what's Boolean and how to build it, just sort of very basic things, you know, looking up candidate profiles, what's this person's phone number, how many notes are on this record, and, and building from sort of basic to more advanced, like do this search and, and sort of adding on these different pieces. So we start, and, and then the basics of, you know, how to add new people into the system and all that stuff. And then once they have sort of that grounding of, okay, I can, I know my right way around a little bit around the ATS, I can add people, I can edit records, I can look up basic stuff. Then we dive into um, Boolean training. And we're, again, we're starting that in the ATS. And so we'd go over the basics of that, you know, sit in a room on a whiteboard and or not parentheses, quotation marks, how do things build out, um, as I'm sure you know, parentheses are often the hardest one to explain to people sort of how they work. And so sometimes we'll do like, you know, Venn diagrams and compare different ones and what they mean. And then again, it's, it's in those, these first couple of weeks of training for folks on our team, it's a lot of just getting in reps. So we'll talk about it and we'll say, okay. And, and um, it's sort of a step-by-step -step process. We'll take people through of, um, you know, first I'm going to give you, well, I want somebody with, you know, they have to have Java and they have to have, HTML or CSS or XML, whatever. Write me, write me a, a string, a Boolean string. So just giving them the keywords and having them write me a string and then talking about that. And the next step, next step might be, I'll give you a job description and we go through in training sort of how to pull out different parts of a job description, looking at the different parts, what are the required skills, what are the nice to have skills, um, making sure you're looking at, you know, synonyms, different ways to say things, looking up things you don't know, how do you build out your or statements for, you know, synonyms, different things taking a job description, turning it into a, a little string. Okay, well now let's go and run a search and let's look at the resumes. And so we're doing a lot of these practice searches again at first in, in our ATS where it's take a job, build a string. Usually at first I'll approve the string before they go out and spend time, you know, running the search, do your search. And then I always tell people this part of the training too, like I don't want you to go fast here or try to go fast. I want you to go slow, right? I want you to take your time, look through, whatever resumes come up in your search, I want you to take the time to look through them, start to, you know, you don't have to read every single word, everything, every single one, but skim through them and start to see what terms are in there, how many times, what terms are related to other terms. Cause a lot of times these folks don't necessarily have that technology background that I came in with. Although a lot of times these days, everyone has some level of, <laughs> of technological literacy with the web and everything. Right. But starting to, to look through that and even not just the resumes, right. I want, I want you to, look through the notes in the system, look if they've been submitted before to what clients and sort of, again, start to through osmosis, learn all this stuff. So we do several cycles of that. I mean, at this point, I've given them the basics of, 
well, here's how you should go through job description and build a string. And then also some of the basics of, well, here's how you should go through a resume and look to make that decision of whether or not this person is quote unquote a fit and just to give some examples, right? So like really basic stuff, even again, before, if they don't understand the technologies we're looking for, okay, go tell your search for Java people and some other terms, whatever. Well, how many times is your search term appearing in the resume, right? Is it once or is it a bunch of times? Where in their work history? Have they used it recently? They used it years ago, but they're not using it now. And you don't have to know what the thing is. You're just looking for almost even visually where the thing is in the resume, how many times it is. Um, another example would be like, okay, if it's Java, if you see other stuff that starts with the letter J, like that's a good clue. Even if you don't know what the stuff is, right? You can start to learn some of these easy, you know, easy to connect related terms. Um, so we're going through a number of cycles of that. And then we'll go through that again on each of the tools that we use, right? So we'll, we'll do practice searches on LinkedIn Recruiter, and we'll do practice searches on job boards. We'll do practice searches on you know, using Google and just sort of go through each of those sources and go through those cycles of um, doing those, those searches. And then once they've got sort of gotten through that, then we start giving them more quote unquote real assignments, right? Where they're supporting recruiters and delivering lists of candidates to recruiters. And, and the first couple of times probably the sourcers aren't sending out the messaging themselves. They're just focusing on how can I find the best candidates I can using all the sources we have available, packaging them up on a list and handing them off to a recruiter. Oh, and the other thing I forgot to mention, which is super important, is the feedback. So all through this process, we're giving people feedback, right? So I think if you, if you have people doing this, you have to give them feedback. You're missing out on a huge part or the biggest part of the training. If you say, hey, go make a list of people. Okay, I made 10 people. Okay, great, we're gonna move on to the next thing. You gotta give them feedback. And I think sometimes that can be tough for people because it's it's work, right, for us as, as managers or the recruiters or whatever. Like, okay, I sent this person off to do this thing, but now I gotta spend my time and go through each one. But that's really where they're gonna get the most value out of that training is, okay, you made me a list of 20 people, let's go through. And it doesn't necessarily always have to be any of them, but let's go through five or 10 and say, I'm gonna say, yes, this person is a fit or no, they're not, and tell you the reasons why. And so the first couple cycles, I'm doing that. And once we have them start pairing up with recruiters, then the recruiters are doing that, right? They deliver a, a list of candidates to a recruiter, and then the recruiter is expected to, and if they're not, I'm on them to do so, give some feedback, hey, here's who I liked, here's who wasn't quite a fit, and here's why. And the more cycles they can get of that, the better. And then after some of that, then we'd add on the messaging piece, right? So we'd go through a training of sort of best practices. Here's how you write a message and, you know, customize it and make it funny and, and all that sort of stuff. And there's lots of content out there and source content, all that stuff about those best practices and, and give them some of that training. And then in the next couple of cycles now, they're instead of just delivering a list of candidates, the recruiter, they're now doing messaging themselves and um, obviously delivering warm candidates now to the recruiter. Oh, and then the other piece that I missed there is um, the content info piece, right? So that's a big part of what our team does is is hunting in that content info. And for me, I think that's one of the most um, fun pieces, obviously, the, the hacking on kind of stuff and the, diff the different interesting ways to go after contact information. And so they get training around, um, you know, how to hunt down emails and even sometimes phone numbers and all the different ways. And one thing that I think is important there, too, is we we train them on how to do it manually before we expose them to the tools that can do it for you, right? So we're gonna show you all the different tips and tricks of, well, here's how to get somebody's email from GitHub, or here's how to use Whois to look at if somebody owns a website or, or all this different stuff, get a, a good grounding in that. And they'll say, okay, well, you can use these tools to augment or to help or to make faster some of the stuff. Like I always say about those tools, like none of those tools are doing things that we couldn't do ourselves, right? They're just using, they're just building 
algorithms that go out and do some of those tricks themselves and it speeds it up and it makes it faster. We can get through more people more quickly, but none of those tools are really doing things that we couldn't figure out how to do, how to do ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other, um, another piece there that I always try to emphasize is um, why, like, why are we doing this? And another thing that I see all the time, you know, I mentioned the not looking enough to the ATS Another sort of mistake I see people make is relying too much on in-mails and too much on LinkedIn messaging. And um, that's why, you know, I've always, when I've trained people, you know, you gotta, you gotta find the email if you can, because you think about, you send somebody a LinkedIn message, well, maybe they don't check their LinkedIn inbox, or maybe they have the notifications turned off, or maybe they signed up for LinkedIn with a work email. They no longer work there, right? There's all kinds of reasons why somebody, and I think you have to get yourself in that mindset. You some, you send somebody a LinkedIn message, they might not even see it, right? I think a lot of people get in their head, I sent a message, they're gonna see it. If they're interested, they'll get back. If they're not interested, they won't. And they, then they're sort of done. And that's, I think, not the right mindset to have. Like you have to think first, well, they're not even gonna see it. I gotta see if I can, you know, obviously we'll email people if we can't find emails, but you've gotta take the time to try to hunt down the email address. It's gonna give you at least a little bit better of a chance of, of getting in front of that people. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a number of times where I've gotten responses to my LinkedIn messages two, three, four years after I sent them. And that's, that's where clearly people are not checking their LinkedIn until they need to look for a new job. Then they go to LinkedIn and message every recruiter who's messaged them in the past couple of years. And so I think you have to have that mindset, you know, um, people always talk about, you know, post and pray and then you, you spray and pray, right? You'll send out, a bunch of, send out a bunch of messages and hope that people respond to you. And then the other thing there is that the same mistake that people make is not doing follow-up, right? You can't just send out one message and then hope, again, hope they see it, hope they respond to it. And just sending one message and not getting a response, it doesn't mean they're not interested. You have to, you know, get, reach out to them on different channels, obviously not bombard them. You have to have a strategy and do it in a, in a good cadence, but reaching out on different channels, reaching out with different messages and follow-ups and, and all that stuff is important. Um, another, another thing I'll mention here, an example or, or story I always like to give, again, thinking about like, this is not to, to put down any particular person or recruiters, but I just think it's a funny story, difference between sorcerers and recruiters and attention to detail. So there's been a number of times where um, a recruiter has called me over to their desk. They have a LinkedIn profile open on their screen and say, hey, Ben, I found this great candidate. Can you help me find their email address? And then I'll take their mouse, scroll, 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 what's well, right there on their LinkedIn profile. And, and, and typically, so typically what that is is that which I think is another good lesson is that they maybe look like at the bottom of the profile and the top of the profile for an email, because that's usually where you expect to find them. But sometimes people have them like in their job descriptions on LinkedIn. So it's a little bit in the middle of the profile or whatever, and just looking for the, that kind of information in places where it's not necessarily the obvious place to find. And then obviously we train people on, you know, going down the rabbit hole and following all the different paths. Okay, well, you found somebody's LinkedIn profile. Why don't you do a Google image search on their picture and that's going to find you their Twitter. And then their Twitter has a link to their website. And their website has their resume. So you've got to kind of follow all those, all those paths. Uh, with your team and obviously doing a lot of tech, what's your kind of go-to uh, sourcing tool stack? Um, so obviously our, our ATS, uh, we use Bullhorn. Mm -hmm. um, so that's our ATS. And then next up after that would be LinkedIn Recruiter. You know, and like I was saying, LinkedIn Recruiter is maybe not as useful as it once was, especially because one, every most recruiters and sourcers have it, and two, people, you know, technologists especially, aren't necessarily even on LinkedIn or they don't want to be contacted by recruiters. You know, we have 
we had a client where we went and visited with their tech team and I think it was, you know, they had seven really good developers and not a single one was on LinkedIn, right? But that being said, we still make a lot of placements every year from LinkedIn. It's still, um, we get a lot of placements from there. So the LinkedIn recruiter, and then we still do a little bit with job boards, not obviously as much as, as we did when I first started, just because those are, those are kind of, so we've used, we've used Monster Dice Career Builder, sort of rotated through them over the course of the years. Right now we're mainly focused on um, Dice because sometimes for, for contractors you can find, you know, people, people will post their resume up on Dice and then get their next contract in a day or two. So then it becomes about being, being fast there. And then I think the, um, the next piece of our toolkit is what I would call talent aggregators, right? Or whatever you want to call them. But there are a lot of tools out there mm-hmm. that and I think everybody's trying to figure out, well, what's going to be the next LinkedIn, right? If you think about the, the evolution of, of tools, right? From job boards to LinkedIn and sort of what's next. And nobody's figured it out. But obviously, as you know, there's been so much activity in, in the space over the past couple of years. And so we've, again, we have a couple that we use right now. We've rotated through a couple over the, over the past couple of years. We're always trying to stay on top of what tools are out there, what's going to be best for us. So, um, you know, Seek Out is one that we've been using. Human Predictions is one that we've been using. And just these tools that, again, for the most part, are doing manually what we can do ourselves, but are allowing us to do it at a speed and a scale that we, could, we couldn't do ourselves. Of finding, you know, here's somebody's LinkedIn, Twitter, GitHub, website, email, and smashing that all together into one uh, profile for us. I think that's the direction, obviously, the industry is going, and, and you know, no one winner has defined themselves yet. It's like, oh, oh, we're the next big thing after LinkedIn. But that sort of category is definitely, I think, where it's at, at least for now. I think another important part of that is that these these sites, these tools aren't databases, right? They're they're not serving you their own database of information that somebody has gone and you know created a LinkedIn profile or uploaded their resume to a job board. It's and and people aren't necessarily on LinkedIn, like I said, but people are obviously more than ever putting so much out there about themselves online, whether it's GitHub or whether it's Twitter, whether it's blogs. And so you have to take the time and it makes it you know, a little bit harder for us. And these tools help with that where people aren't just throwing everything up on a LinkedIn profile nicely organized for us. We now have to go and sort of find those bits and pieces across those different things. That information is out there. It's just about finding it and about how do you use tools and and organize your time so you're using time most efficiently to to find the people you're you're trying to find. Um, And then, so those those are sort of some of the big, you know, paid tools that we use. And then on top of that, obviously, Google searches, Meetup, GitHub, Twitter, still doing some of that manually and then obviously some of that with those tools of finding uh, finding people where they are. And that could be really powerful because then that can become um, part of that, part of your messaging, right? So if we speak to the messaging piece, um, you know, instead of just blasting out a template on LinkedIn Recruit or whatever, if you can say like, hey, I saw you were in this meetup group, I'm thinking of going or I saw you just made this blog post, that's interesting, or I saw you were speaking at this conference or you posted this cool thing on GitHub or whatever, that then gives you something to take that next step in how you're customizing your messaging. Yeah, you seem to, both you and your team in general, seem to be doing, always doing well in, in hackathons, whether that's uh, live hackathons at you know, Sourcing Summit and, uh, and, and SourceCon or the online hackathons um, across the world. You know, what is it with, specifically with the OP team about hackathons? Like how do you use hackathons and, and how do, does you and your team become so good at it? I think one of the biggest things there I think again too is something sometimes people miss is when you're when you're training folks or working on developing your skills, 
it's not just about the tools, but it's about the, the basic skills that go behind how well you can use those tools, right? You can you can train you can get any tool and, and train anybody on any tool, but if they don't if they don't have that sort of um, baseline of attention to the detail and thinking like a researcher and how am I gonna get the information I'm looking for, they're they're gonna fall short. And so again, where I where I see the the strength of our team is not necessarily what tools we're using or you know what tools we happen to be subscribed to at that particular time but how we're able to approach the work that we're doing, whatever tool that we're using. So, and then in terms of, of hackathons, you know, we encourage folks um, on our team to participate in hackathon, hackathons and, and do um, sourcing dot games and different things like that. Cause I think that just sort of, again, build, builds those muscles. And I think what's great about those kind of things is they're tool agnostic, right? Because again, if you're putting on a hackathon, you don't know what particular paid tools different people are going to have access to. And so a lot of that is just becoming about how do I, think strategically about and a lot of it is just putting typing the right things into google right but the the questions are phrased in ways where it takes you some time to think through well, okay this is what they're this is what they actually asking for and then what do i actually need to ask google for to get the information that i'm looking for and so i think it's about how you approach again not thinking about tools but how you approach um that job of, of information retrieval and so I'll, I'll give a couple examples there um so, so the the hackathon we just did. Um, so I, I posted a comment in um, the SourceCon Facebook group about this, but I'll, I'll repeat it here because I think it has some good lessons in it. So one of the I think it was question four in this last hackathon, SourceCon Digital, there was a picture missing, right? So the the question said something like, "The person in this picture is so and so's father," blah blah blah, something, and then there was just no picture. And I looked at that. I said, "Okay, well, where's the picture? This is frustrating. I think I." Um, I messaged Tori on, on Facebook, but got no no response. Like, hey, I think there's a picture missing. And eventually, they did in the in the live chat say who what the, what the picture was. But I already gotten past that question because here was my thought process. Where I said, okay, there's no picture. That's frustrating. What do I do? Uh, and then I said, well, wait a second. What if this is a trick question? And my my thought process well, as as sourcers and recruiters, we're often asked to do something, and we don't necessarily have all the information okay. we yeah. need. Or all the information we, we wish we had, or whatever. You know, you talk to a hiring manager, and you have some picture of what they're looking for. You can't get them. Like, you often have to go and, and do searches and do your research and your sourcing with, with incomplete information. So it's okay. I don't have this piece that they're telling me I should have the picture. What do I have? And then in the text of the question that was that went along with the picture, there was actually enough to figure out an answer. And so it was, it was about. And it took me a couple tries in Google of, of putting some of the terms in the text in different order, different ways. And then the other part was eventually the answer I found, it wasn't on the first page of my Google results, it was on the um, bottom of the second page. So I think that was another <laughs> lesson. Like sometimes what you're looking for is on page two or page three or whatever, like you can't just skim the first three Google results and move on. And again, it was, and so it was also about um, just context clues like, okay, like from the question, it made it clear that this person was still alive and I was getting like mayors of Hollywood from the twenties and different things. <laughs> the question was about, it was about some product or no director's father was a mayor. And then, but I, I found this looked like, Oh, like this would make sense as something that somebody writing this hackathon might write a question about. And so I tried the answer and that, and that turned out to be the answer. Oh, the, the second thing I was going to mention, going back to that, that piece about information retrieval, um, and going back to to training, this came up at um, one of the 
roundtable several source comes ago. This was about, I think it was, you know, one of the leadership roundtables. I can't remember who said this. I wish I could. I think the, the roundtable was being led by Amy Beth Quinn and, and she might've mm -hmm. said it, it might've been someone else at the roundtable. But the question was, was posed, you know, how do you, when you're interviewing potential source or candidates, how do you, you know, qualify them or, or evaluate them during that interview? And, and one person, something that I really liked because it was about that information retrieval piece, but didn't have anything to do with, with sourcing. They say, well, I, I ask people, find me the best burrito in San Francisco. And then I'll see how they do it, you know, either on a whiteboard or just put them in front of a computer. And then they would keep adding things to that search. The best burrito in San Francisco. Okay, well, it has to be a vegan burrito. Okay, well, it's, it's midnight when I'm hungry. Like, okay, I'm, I'm, in, well, I'm in this neighborhood. And just how do they use, whether it's Yelp or Google or different things online to find that answer. And then as the requirements change, be able to change what they're looking for. And so that has always stuck in my head. Again, regardless of what the tool is or what the search is, your ability to sort of go after that, whatever information you're asked to, you're asked to find. I mean, obviously being, being based in Chicago, um, I know your company does a lot more than just Chicago searches. Uh, but for, for people maybe not used to that market or, you know, some idiot like me from Europe that has to all of a sudden source in Chicago, uh, what do we need to know? What do I have to do differently? And, you know, what's the market like from a, from a sourcing point of view? So I don't know that I have any like super valuable insights there, like in terms of how Chicago is different from, let's say, the, you know, the rest of the, the tech market in other major cities in the U.S. Um, I think... I think one difference that we do see, because every once in a while we'll do um, some work internationally for our clients, and we've you know we've done stuff in Canada and in Germany and, and you know especially in Europe. I think you have to be, or it's it seemed to us you want to be more careful. You have to be careful about how you're sort of reaching out to people. And you can tell me if this is true. Like people are, and maybe this was specific to Germany. I don't know, but people are are more formal or they don't, they don't just like, Hey, just, just reaching out. Like they, it's, it's, it's the way people are interacting about their professional life. They expect a level of formality that you don't necessarily need when you're reaching out to folks in the U S. Um, and so I, I think for, I guess my lesson would be, you know, if you're, if you're coming from an international background and, and source of folks in the U S you don't have to worry about that stuff <laughs> as much as obviously you want to maintain some level of professionalism, but, and, and maybe that's, one of those stereotypes about people in the U.S. that are true, like we don't, we don't care. Just we're we're friendly, dumb people. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Just like, and so again, it's, it's and again, you don't want to overwhelm somebody, but re reaching out to somebody and um, you know multiple times and 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 so when we were doing sourcing in Europe, we had to be very careful. Like, well, if they if we reach out more than once, are they going to be offended? If we if we don't use the right language, are they going to be offended or not want to respond to us? And then I think you have to worry about that a little bit less in the, in the u.s look ben if uh, if people want to stay in touch with you and yeah see where where your journey takes you um how can they best do that so i think the 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 best way the two best ways would be uh linkedin and twitter so you can find me easily on linkedin and then on, on twitter i'm ben solomon op and i try to tweet about sourcing related things i need to, i need to tweet more but um linkedin and twitter are definitely the uh two best ways to connect with me Perfect. Look, I look uh, forward to seeing you soon again. And uh, yeah, good luck. Yeah, hopefully we'll be able to uh, see each other in person. Exactly. At SourceCon at some point. Exactly. Thanks, Ben. All right. Thanks, Mark. If you like this episode, please consider sharing it or any of the other episodes with a friend or a colleague who might be interested as well. And consider subscribing to the channel, which will help us meet more people 
um, and grow the community.